Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go! Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I always mush my mouth on that. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I'm Henry. And I'm Chris. I'm Megan. And it's because you have a southern accent. <laughs> Is that it? Mush yeah. mouth? Music. Welcome to 80s Music Exposed. I have the newscaster accent. <laughs> Isn't that the Midwestern thing? Like yeah. when they people. I'm going to do the whole podcast <laughs> as Ernest T. Bass. I actually oh. know who Ernest T. Bass is. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you know. Everybody knows who that is. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> there you go. So this is uh, the episode, Henry, where we cover September of 1982. We're coming off of one of our special episodes where we just covered one album, which was Rio by Duran Duran, which I failed to mention, Henry. I did add to my 80s music canon list. Did you really? I really need to update that on Spotify. I publish this on occasion. I've got to remember when we upload this to update that list to, for the people. Yes, yes. That's a good one, though, for the canon, I feel. I do, too. I did not add Nebraska, even though I love that album. I don't know, to me, if it's it, – it almost transcends the 80s. But I don't yeah. think you can survey the 80s without Rio because, to me, it is so no. 80s. I think, I think you thought that, too, right, Megan? Yes, I definitely agree 100%, especially about Nebraska, because like, I feel like, like you said, the album is kind of timeless. Like Bruce Springsteen is kind of timeless in a way, but like Born in the USA, I would consider like an 80s canon album, but not Nebraska. Two artists um, so far that we've covered that we'll probably cover a lot in the 80s that I will struggle with because of that. And the two so far, Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen, because I feel like Everything Tom Petty does just to me is timeless. It doesn't really, there's no way to place it in any specific. It's just Tom Petty. Um, I kind of have that same problem with Bruce Springsteen, although I think Born in the USA will probably be the most 80s of his albums to me. Yeah, it was kind of like the perfect storm for that album, I think. Like, he had just been around for the perfect amount of time. Like, he was already kind of famous and well known. And that album was such a success. Like MTV was a thing at that point. And, you know, he was a young guy, you know, a good looking guy. So I think he like transitioned into the video thing well, too, Mm -hmm. which not everybody could do. Yeah, Bruce may end up now we haven't decided yet, but Bruce may end up being our first artist to have two albums that are covered all by themselves, have their own episode. I hope so. But we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But today we're back to our regular format where we're going to cover five albums, and these five come from September of 1982. Henry, do you think we should do the Rags methodology again? We haven't done it in a while, or do you want to skip it? I'm going to leave it up. Sure, let's, sure let's roll on with it. Uh, we go by a method called the Rags method. Each one stands for something. R for, stands for Rolling Stone four or five star reviews from back in the day. That's right. And A stands for the uh, All Music website. If it's got a four or five star review on there, we will also cover it. 
Henry, do you want to hit the G? <laughs> yeah. I was going to see if Megan's going to pick it up. Oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. Sorry. I was going to see if she would. What's the G stand for, Megan? Isn't that like good music? <laughs> Grammy nominated. <laughs> Good music. I like better. I like good music better too. And most of the be- Grammy nominees are not good music. I was being facetious. I don't know if that translated well, but. And of course, S stands for shit we like or stuff we like um, if the kids are listening. So those are the things that we, that we, the criteria we use to cover records. And of course, we'll also cover records that you guys out there suggest if. If we miss something or if there's an album you'd like us to cover, please um, hit us up and we'll see if we can do that. And we'll uh, give you all that specifics at the end of the pod. What do you guys say we uh, give them some significant events from September of 1982 to get in the mood? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Guess what the first one is? What is it? USA Today was first published on September the 15th. Of eighty two, was it color back then? I think it. Remember, was. it was a color newspaper. That's was so to me as a kid. That was so revolutionary. It was like the colors just made it like, oh my god, I want to read this paper. All of but the papers it was are the boring. first one, right? Like you, like USA. It's interesting that we may have seen the complete life in our lifetime, Henry, of USA Today. Because yeah. there may not be a USA Today within I mean, try, the next couple years. You should years. try going to their website now. You'll have to reboot your computer and have it cleaned again. <laughs> that, that, it's so it's crazy college. that you guys are talking about that, that that was like a big deal when I stuff was. was printed in color. Because yes. like now it's just like print isn't even really much of a thing anymore, you know? So it's just very different. Yeah. Megan, when we until were kids, we were nine Chris, years old, the entire world was in black and white. <laughs> not TV. Oh yeah, everything. It, just what? everything was no, black. Really, the eighties. Um, how about Family Ties premiering on NBC on September Hello, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> mm-hmm. What was it? he? And he was the uh, the Reagan kid. I can't remember. His, Alex P. Keaton. Alex P. Keaton. Was mm-hmm. Yeah, he was like the rebel Republican that everyone loved. That yeah. was cool. That was cool. Then, That's right. The, 80s. the cool thing to be on TV back then. Donald yeah. Trump, basically. Yeah, right, right, right. The young Donald Trump. Yeah. And basically, at this time, Henry, I don't know if you remember this, but like NBC is starting to build like a powerhouse. Yeah, like their all their TV was like must watch. Is it around this time they guess they start calling it must watch TV? Yes, because one of our other events is Cheers started on September 29th. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? 
so eighty two. Yeah, eighty two. So so NBC is starting to build a dynasty in the pre uh streaming cable world for those of us yeah. who are old enough to remember. Um but yeah, this it was kept the us start. together, man. It kept us together culturally. That's right. Like one, Network TV, o- one sure. oasis to water around kept people talking about the same stuff, mm-hmm. and and now we've become so fractured that we're all running down bullshit, challenging elections and stuff. That's right. <laughs> you know, like and you know, Henry, it's one, crazy. It's fucked up. One other event that I feel like is the real harbinger of things to come on September 29th, We got the first reports. Of cyanide laced Tylenol. That, oh yeah, that shit was scary, Megan. That, that is, yeah. My it, parents have talked to me about that. Yeah, right. that was the weirdest thing. Like but you thought yeah, because they didn't have like the um, now they have all the like you know I mean not a ton of security with stuff like that, but a little bit more like the protective. Oh uh, my gosh! Like plastic thing where if that's mm-hmm. removed, like, that's where it comes from, thing. Megan. If you can imagine back then. Going into a drugstore, you could just open a bottle of Tylenol. You could steal a couple pills if you had a headache and just put the bottle back. That's how yeah. easy it and was. And I'm sure to get people in. did that all the time. Yeah, I remember <laughs> doing that a lot, like just going into a drugstore and grabbing a couple out of the bottle and putting it back. So, yeah, that was like, that led to all that kind of packaging where you're standing there going, I can't fucking open this bottle. Well, thanks to the cyanide. I mean, we thought we, we thought we lived in a little bit of fear back then. You know, it's like, oh, cyanide Not might, into, if you take a Tylenol, oh, a nuclear bomb might drop on you. <laughs> we didn't really know the, what the culmination of holy horseshit was going to be. <laughs> you, you know, it's going to take us 30 years to really run the game. That was just the you know? first little crack in the dam. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird about it too because, like, it's not that long ago, but in some ways, it's an eternity ago. Like, right, you're right. You know, when you compare it to like technology and just, yeah, kind of like bad shit that happens, or maybe we just hear about it more. I don't really know. No, I think there's more now. (laughs) I think so. Like, I I do think that people, like you mentioned, people are just more fractured now. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So, Mm -hmm. all right. So, those were the significant events of September of 1982. Let's go ahead and start reviewing some albums. The first one we've got is by a band called Rush. The album is called Signals, and this song is called New World Man. Young romantic wants to run the big machine He's got 
This is the third Rush album I've had to provide feedback on. <laughs> right? Oh, it's such a privilege. I'm not. I'm not using the term like Stockholm syndrome or anything like that <laughs> about it. Okay. Before you guys start ripping on the Rush, Henry and Megan, I do want to say one thing. I have a theme for me for this episode, and that is keyboards, keyboards, and more <laughs> fucking. Keyboard. So each album, I'm going to start just by saying the keyboard of choice by this band. Rush's keyboard of choice on this record was the mini Moog. Okay, now go ahead and start ripping it. Okay, so uh, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that that's the one. How did you figure out that that's the one that they used? They just said that? Well, I'm a super Rush nerd, so I, I went on the website and looked up all their different keyboards, and this was the first one that they introduced the Mini Moog because he could use his feet. You know, one of the reasons why I think Rush was successful as a band, I mean, one of the things I've noticed is that, yeah, the lyrics can be a little awkward sometimes, and Neil Peart had a way of like, putting things like lyrics are kind of on the nose, you know, what they, what they had was authenticity, right? All those other prog bands that tried to do pop music did it in a really inauthentic way. People like, yes. And those kinds of bands. He's going to talk shit about yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I feel like they, they embraced their nerddom. You know, there's a Venn diagram of like, libertarian and rush fan that like merges together. Yes. <laughs> you know, <For> that is sure. <laughs> it. And, but those other guys would just try to write people like yes, or whoever would just try to write pop songs that translated as being just vapid rush tried to sort of wrestle. They're already, they did on this record signals, right? It, they they didn't have to prove that they were the best musicians in the world anymore and and did not try to put themselves in sort of this complete pop box so i i just think that's why they why people still care about rush to this day it's a, it's a, like a niche fan base and it's a very passionate fan mm-hmm. base and i do think that they leaned into like their nerdiness like they just embraced it and they mm-hmm. are good like this album i don't mind it this is like their this is like a later album for them isn't it this is like the, probably this is the ninth the studio album ninth. yeah it's a lot like by so, that time that's pretty crazy like i didn't know that they had released that much material because i don't listen to rush that much like when i saw this on the list i was like oh great another rush album (laughs) so uh, the reason it's on the list this is my favorite my thing really but this one it is like i do like the keyboards and the synthesizers like that's something that i always kind of enjoy i still dislike getty lee's voice i can't lie to you i but here's the reason i find it lame in like this trademark way you know, he is trademark lame. I, like he's a commodity that I can count on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, it translates as authentic. Even if I don't like it, I don't have to like it. They're rushed. They're their own thing. I don't, it's not for me. It's very you, unique. Like yeah. his voice. Like I don't like it, but I can, I can appreciate it for what it is. Like, I feel like it stands out. Right before the pod, like, 
pushed my hand into acknowledging every record that they done yeah, same. in the 80s and same. having to put these in my head, right? Like I have to listen to respond to it. And now it's like I've got this – the first time I listened to this for the pod, I didn't like it. The second time I listened to it, I did like it. It's so, really weird. So let me um, let me talk to the Rush fans out there. I feel like I'm talking <laughs> – I'm like a Lord of the Rings fan, and now I'm going to do the part to the people that like the Lord of the Rings. You guys can I like I, I respect your opinions, you novices, but let me give you the I mean we were pretty nice. Well, you guys right. were kind of nice. Me I here, let me give you some bullet points. Yeah. Uh Neil Perk, Getty Lee, amazing musicianship, the future. Uh, this, song, this, this song this song is in three five. This other song is in seven eight. Isn't that great or that great? <laughs> Okay, for the rest okay. of you, okay, so this ahead. is the uh, ninth studio album. Um, it is a definite departure for Rush. They, in fact, thought this was the beginning of their new sound because they had decided to incorporate keyboards. It came on the heels of Moving Pictures, which went five times platinum, and was so their, which mm-hmm. the record company desperately wanted them to follow up with Moving Pictures Part 2. So they went against the grain there and went with keyboards. They did make a pact between them that they would not do anything musically that the three of them couldn't reproduce just with just the three of them live. So that's why yeah. Getty Lee went with the mini Moog because he found a way he could play it with foot pedals while he was still playing bass. Oh, yeah. Um, so since became the driving force of the next three records, this one and Grace Under Pressure and Power Windows, I think by Power Windows, they almost became too new wave even for rush fans this is actually a loose concept album they did not like put that out there because they felt like that was such a 70s prog rock thing but it is loosely set around suburbia um and Mm -hmm. leaving the the constraints of that middle of the road conformity that suburbia kind of puts on people and it reminded me a lot going back and listening to it of the same themes that were going on in arcade fires album the suburbs and it also, to me, was a perfect album for the target audience, which was 12 and 13 and 14-year-old boys yep, in the suburbs, yep. like I, me. So I related to this album a lot when I was a kid because it, he was they were singing right at at us, trying to get out of the suburbs and like, will I ever get out of high school? And will I ever get to the big city and get away from this shitty suburban life? So it hit a lot of those chords for me. And then the keyboards as well. To me, kind of bring it into the 80s in a way, Henry, that you were right, even though I think you're slagging on them, um, that yes, and some of the other prog rock bands I don't think did as well. Okay, now mm-hmm. go back to crushing them. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of the perfect length album. It's like only eight songs. Yeah, I don't think it's <laughs> too long at all. For- well, no, I just mean like I kind of like sometimes when albums like they're not like I, do I don't too. necessarily need like a double or triple album sometimes. I do like too. if it's like eight really good songs, it's like that's perfect. I also don't need or for me personally. I'm also daunted by bands like if there's a like there's a couple of Pink Floyd records that are like 60 minutes long but only three songs. I'm like, yeah. oh, dude, I don't know if I can do that. So, yeah, like, let's break it up a little bit. Right, right. I think this one is eminently more listenable um, than some of their prog rock stuff from the 70s. But yeah, it's definitely still Rush. It's definitely not um, 
Kenny Loggins, which will come up to well, later. But I, I think I this like, is more like the commercial part of Rush's yes, career because sure. they had just like had the huge success. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, they did work well in the 80s. Like I would say the 80s rock scene, but they still kind of had their own unique little niche in that. Like they weren't hair metal or heavy metal. Mm-hmm. They were kind of just their own thing, like right. Henry said. Yeah, I'm I mean, say, full disclosure, I don't like prog music, but I can tell you that Rush is the real deal. Like, oh, for sure. I, I respect mean, them too. And, as yeah, as and so this record is like t- they were turning the band inside out. They were making synth a centerpiece in their band and showing off that they and don't being have- good at it too. Right, like it's so, like good synth. Yes, yeah. you guys should and, stop and, trying to be nice to Rush. I get it. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. What do no, you guys do? This is legitimate. Like if I hated it, I would tell you I hate. I do it. wish. I, and and you know, Digital Man is a great police song. You know. Oh God. <laughs> Henry, why don't you take us to the next record? And by the way, if you guys slag off on this next one, my eyes might start bleeding, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. <laughs> oh, okay, moving right along. I love Rush. The next record we're going to consider is from an artist. It's our second look at Kate Bush. The record we're li- going to consider is called The Dreaming, and listen to part of a song called Leave It Open. start by saying the keyboard of choice for this record was the Fairlight CMI keyboard. Mm, so delicious from 1982. That that was a piece of machinery, wasn't it? Yeah, so sampler and all that. Right, so the thing the interesting thing about the Fairlight, it was brand new, but I guess Henry Cassio instantly made a little like everybody knows it now, but remember those little keyboards you could buy at like the department store where you could record your mm-hmm. voice for like 2 seconds. Yes. And then as you went up the keyboard, your voice got higher and higher. Yeah, Ferris Bueller had one. Remember that? <laughs> yes. So mm-hmm. that that technology was originally the Fairlight CMI. So basically it allowed artists very easily to start doing samples. Kate I, Bush, I, who had sung backup on mm-hmm. a Peter Gabriel album, he introduced her to it. But this album, she just went crazy with the Fairlight. So this is the first album that she produced herself. Everyone considers this the quintessential Fairlight album. If you want to know what you can do with one of those, basically the whole album was done with a Fairlight. True to form on this podcast, we will always give Kate Bush like premium treatment, right? This is a really good album, even though it's weird. But like, I think it's like it's kind of the point. Like, she just kind of did what she wanted to do and didn't really care. Yeah. 
like commercially i don't think that was the goal at all like especially compared to like hounds of love which i think is the next album yeah, so hounds right? of love is next and she'll give them mm-hmm. her masterpiece like the pop masterpiece but yeah this is the one i like i found a quote where the bbc said when it came out this is the album quote unquote i've gone mad lp from kate bush mm. that makes sense that i mean asking me to be critical of this record is almost impossible to do Oh, I walked away from it thinking that she and Peter Gabriel went home at night to compare notes, at least in how a record should be, right? Well, it's, it's kind of the, perfect that they're both, they both have albums and we're talking about both of them on this episode right. because I do feel like they have a lot in common, I um, even though they're too. very different. I, I liked also that it was so bold for her to take the reins. You know, basically, one, if you think about the time period for a female artist just to say, I'm producing the record. And she was huge mm-hmm. in, in the UK already. I um, read that she stopped working with the engineer. His name was John Kelly that had been working with her up to this point because she was trying to do, trying to see the world in a different way and record things. It was different. They said it was mutual. My perception is the mixed critical re- reception of this album had a lot to do with maybe even the way we si- we saw her society put uh, females in a box, you know, that, uh, Especially at that time, because I think yeah. now, now critically people praise it, of course. Um, yeah. But yeah, at the time, and keep in mind, she was only like twenty-four. God Almighty! Right. <laughs> so, yeah, did you imagine the, that, some of the? Do you even feel the weight of the world on your shoulders at twenty-four? Like I knew know? she was around my parents' age, and like so, I was like, "Well, how old then was she when this album came out?" Because like this kind of, I mean, it's just so weird. She always seems kind of timeless and ageless to me. So she, like hearing that she was twenty-four, like early twenties, like that's just nuts it makes you question what you're doing with your life uh i mean she's so easy to fall in love with uh, yeah. it's like she's baffling and mysterious you could spend the whole pod like talking about this there's information about every song here and and it goes in depth you know right and i this so, is the kind of album that i hope we turn some people onto that maybe hadn't heard it before because it's such an interesting mm-hmm album just to listen to this album made me think of i mean granted i have not listened to like billy eilish really Uh but i don't really feel like i need to to know that i'm like she kind of is like kate bush but like now you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because just like the super young really weird and artsy yeah i mean i think i'm gonna give kate bush a little bit more credit than billy eilish at this point just because billy eilish has not been around as long and like we know kate bush was super talented you know her work but i I think you're right because i think a lot of what kate bush was doing you you see a lot more now with pop uh, artists because it's a lot of synthesized music but there are a lot of them that are taking a lot of chances like Billie Eilish music is not just Taylor Swift you know what I mean there's a lot of stuff going on there but I also wanted to comment on real quick Megan you had said this album is is considered now much more highly regarded I found some quotes um, I I thought I noticed that when we were I was looking it up I'm like oh now it's like known as like an underrated album. Right. So NPR considers it the 24th greatest LP ever made by a female artist. It's also yeah. included in the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Mojo called it, the, it put it on the list of the top 50 best eccentric albums of all time. So it definitely has gone up in esteem since it came out. Because I think a lot of people were just didn't get it at the time. 
Well, and her next album was just so it's like so such massive. a hit for her. You wow. know, like I just feel like it almost eclipsed everything before and it. I, and I kind a of feel like the dreaming kind of. I'm glad that she did it because it gave us Hounds of Love. Because I think she, the backlash that she felt was okay. The first side of Hounds of Love is all hits. It's like all singles and as much as Kate Bush can do a banger bangers. And then the second side is like this rock opus thing that she's like, okay, you don't like me doing a whole album of crazy stuff. I'll do one side of just bam. And the other side of this long, you know, thing, which is great. I I think Hounds of Love is, is great. And, but I really like this one. I think it's probably her least known album because it's so experimental, but I'm definitely giving this one a thumbs up. Same. And I, and I really like that it is experimental, especially for that time. I think for like a female artist, because like it was, I mean, for a male artist, I think it was more, it was just easier to be more experimental probably because like you were already taken a little bit more seriously artistically. So like, I don't know the, the fact that she had the balls to do it and that young is pretty impressive. I agree. I totally agree. Uh, Thumbs up. I don't have two thumbs up to give. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, if you guys are ready, I'm going to move on to the next one, which is by the band called The Who. The album is called It's Hard, and the song we're going to play is Eminence Front. We can no. play Eminence Front, but we can't play Subdivisions, and we can't play Babushka. Do you, do you so. want to know why I played Eminence Front? <laughs> yes. They kind of had like a porn group I, I thing know. to it a so, little bit. So as a kid, Henry knows this, as a kid I had an aversion to classic rock radio, so I really didn't want to hear The Who or Led Zeppelin or The Beatles. or I, I didn't like any of that 60s stuff. This song was really the first Who song that I would even listen to because they had a video that was on MTV. And this, I hate to admit it, I hate to say it, but this is my favorite all-time Who song. It's a pretty good song. I like it, and I I hate this album, so I thought, 
I'm going to play it. I'm just going to play it. I don't even consider it a Who song. I consider it a Peter Townsend song. Well, I think we can talk about that for the whole album, Henry. I think this is mostly yeah, um, a leftover Mary song from his solo record. Also, also, the, real quick, that was an ARP 2500 keyboard, the same one that he used on Baba O'Reilly back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember the song Athena, but apparently that was a hit back then. It sounds like it. Do you remember it being a hit? I don't remember it being a hit. I don't. I mean, I have like, I can't tell if I remember the song or if it just feels familiar because it's the who. I know it was a single. Boy, I don't. I don't remember anything off this record except him. All right. That's how I feel about this album. I'm like, oh, I don't know any of these songs except for Eminence Front. So Daltrey said that he don't he didn't think that they should have released this record. Hmm. Said it sounds like a band who doesn't know if it should be making an album or not. That's fair. I think that is that's fair assessment too. I think it's better than Face Dances. I that's the interesting part. Like it feels like leftover songs from Face Dances, which was Pete Townsend's solo album that came out earlier. But I I don't know if it's the worst songs or the better song? So, I feel like, like I'm more interested in the who than I am in like in Pete Townsend's, Townsend's. like solo stuff. Mm-hmm. So like Good. what the other members of the band bring to the who, I think that makes this album for me better than face dances. I, I'm we've, also, had, we've got a weird history with this who Pete Townsend stuff, Chris. We I keep know. coming back to it. <laughs> Keeps coming back. Keeps we coming just back. keep trying to like it. I think. I, I, I want to like it more than I ever do. But I also... Because like, he's like a legend. I know, and I also yeah. have trouble with... I, and I'm sure Who fans would hate me for this. I don't really like um, when Pete Townsend is not the singer. You don't like Raj? No, I, I'm I just mean, like... Roger Daltrey, <laughs> Roger Daltrey worked very hard to fake that voice he's got. I know, but yeah. so Eminence Front is a Pete Townsend <laughs> singing the song, and he sounds fine. They don't need Roger Daltrey. Just like, well, Roger Daltrey, I don't know if you've heard any of like the who, like their live stuff within the past, like probably 20 years at this point. I just feel like they like he just sounds so bad okay, now. Same. Yeah, I think so. But I'm also not super into the who. I also so. thought it was odd. Henry, you may have heard this. Um, the WTF podcast, Mark Marin. He had Roger Daltrey. Daltrey. I can't. Daltrey. I don't want to call him Daltrey. Daltrey on there. <laughs> And I was shocked how uh, flippant he was about Kenny Jones, the drummer. So this was the second album that Kenny Jones was on. Yeah. And he basically said, we didn't really think about it. He was just a friend of ours. And looking back on it, he was definitely not the right drummer. We probably shouldn't even released either of those albums. And he just well, kind of laughed it off. And I was like, how could, they, how could you try to replace Keith Moon? Just you go, can't. I know. And then go with the first guy that's just a buddy because, of ours. Well, see, like being in a band is not really always about like the 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 music, the music you the or the instrument that you played. Totally like, agree. It becomes a three legged dog at some point, mm-hmm. right? And there's something really undefined and kind of obvious about who the who can be, right? The three mm-hmm. guys. There's a push pull. There's a di- there's a personality dynamic that pushes somebody to be one thing or to write something specifically so that somebody has a rock to climb or a, 
or um, something else to push around. It's it's like undefined. And so after Keith Moon's gone, I feel like the soul of the Who has to sit on like Pete Townsend's body. And Pete Townsend is about him. Yeah. You know, I feel that's, like that's a great, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Henry, there was a who, one of those behind the music or one of those documentaries on Amazon prime about the who mm-hmm. that I watched where Pete Townsend, you know, where they're sitting at the board and they're pulling tracks down and all that. And he was like, this is why Keith was so original and so good. He was like, listen to when he fills, when he that puts drum fills, he always put them in the wrong place. He always put them like <laughs> under the vocal or not at the end of the phrase. And that's what made him sound the way he did. And then when I was listening to this record, I was like, Kenny Jones tries to do those crazy Keith Moon fills, but he puts them all at the end of the phrase in the normal spots. Mm-hmm. And if you're aware of it, then you realize, oh, that's what ruins it. They're all, there's no wildness. There's none of that energy. Yes, that yes. Frenetic energy. Got it. That's a, Poor Kenny Jones. It's the wildness. Right, right. And, so, and so here we are having to shit all over Kenny Jones right, because of right. it. No, but seriously, uh, this record is kind of meh. I'm going to end up yeah. giving it a thumbs down, I'm afraid. Loved John Whistle though. I yeah. liked that guy a lot. He was very cool, that guy. Yeah, and I, and I hate, Megan, where you were saying, you know, this is the last one with him. And a lot of people consider it the last Who record because I guess they didn't put one out till 2015 or something. But And also, like, why? But this one's kind of why, too. Like, this, the yeah. last Who record is the last <laughs> Keith Moon record. I mean, really. They're kind of well, done. Well, even when you that. look at like the album cover, if we're talking about album covers this episode, like this like uh, standing one, in it. it's just like they're trying hard to like kind of be. They're standing in an arcade or something. It got on our list because uh, Rolling Stone gave it five stars, and who the hell knows why? I don't. I mean, they, any critic, like, I mean, I still. Like I like albums that have been totally trashed by critics too. Like I, I am my own critic with that. So sometimes like Rolling Stone, like some of the ones, especially in particular Rolling Stone, like the things that they pick, it's like, eh, no. And five stars for this one. mm. Well, let's, let's make sure, let's be fair and honest. They, they did, they loved this record, but they, their quote on the dreaming was, or no, I'm sorry. Their quote on signals was this sucks. Rush needs to rock more. Man. So I don't think Rolling Stone was embracing keyboards yet. I don't think they were getting getting there yet. It wasn't rock and roll enough for them. Right, right. All right, so I'm giving it a thumbs down as well. I think we all three don't like Mm -hmm. it. Henry, what's the next record? The next record we're going to listen to is called Peter Gabriel 4. I call it Peter Gabriel 4. In the United States, they call it security, but his mama called it Peter Gabriel 4. <laughs> I'm going to call it Peter Gabriel 4. But the record we're going to ask, the song we're going to listen to is called I Have the Touch. I'm a quick movement man. I 
So I'm going to go on record as saying that Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel are the king and queen of the D-Bart 80s. Totally. That's what I would say. I, I can't would think agree. Of, uh, he was about 32 when they dis- did this. Re- he's significantly older than her. She was. You said she was 24, Megan? Yeah. And I mean, 32, though, that's still pretty young. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, and I think that when you say that they're the king and queen, like, they're the most, like, they're the best versions of that. Because there were probably other, especially Peter Gabriel, you know, maybe not so much Kate Bush, especially at that time, but kind of knockoffs or people that were trying to be that. But they both just did it really well. And this album, I mean, I like Peter Gabriel. I've never been a huge fan, but I do yeah. like this album, even though shock the monkey, I do not really like that song. So I'm glad so that you didn't pick that one. <laughs> when Chris and I, I was going to give you a shit about this, but I know why I didn't. When we were kids, the very first alternative, <laughs> right? Radio <laughs> station exactly right. <laughs> played, played shock the monkey for was it the whole weekend or 24 hours 72 hours for 72 hours they played shock the monkey back to back so and, and this, we, the, we didn't have streaming back then it was either the radio or cds so right the so name of the, we, we thought it was going to be something interesting right but the name mm-hmm. of the radio station turned out to be gorilla radio Oh, 1065 joke or whatever around that. Yeah. So it was over and over and it was, you know, every time the beginning of that song. And so, but, but, but this is how good that that song is. Even 1065, the end could not kill it. Uh, It's one of the best examples of like really good, intelligent pop music you know it's about it's about jealousy uh shocking the monkey is a metaphor you know for arousing someone's jealousy it it was more successful here in the u.s even than it was in the uk so i I mean it's a good song but i'm just surprised that it was like that big of a hit compared to like the uk the keyboard of choice on this one too was the fairlight semi he used basically he and kate bush were big the big fairlight people but I think Henry, it's weird to me. I I like the last one, Peter Gabriel three, so much more than this one. I can't Interesting. I can't I can't find a way into this one the way I can on the other one. I feel like he took some of the downer elements out of the last one, but he's doing the same thing. Like no yep. symbols. I'm using a lot of keyboard. He is introducing something that'll be a hallmark of his later on in the eighties, which you're starting to hear more of the African rhythms and using African musicians. And of course, you know, Paul Simon is going to do that in 86 um, as well. So there's going to be a, that's going to be a big thing. But I think Peter Gabriel was kind of first with it. Shock the monkey. Henry seems out of place to me on this record though. Does it? That's my problem with it. It's such a, like almost he said, okay, I got to have, I can write a pop song. I can write a hit. If you want me to, I think that might have been kind of what I mean. I don't know for sure, obviously, but like that kind of seemed to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, the rest of the album, it it doesn't really fit super well. I mean, it sounds like a Peter Gabriel song, I yes. would say, yes. but I, I do think that he was trying to do kind of maybe something that would be more successful on the radio. And I don't know if that's because he was pressured or. I just found it to be more emotional, more of an emotional roller coaster than Melted Three was. I agree, but uh, I, I think Melted to me has a very uh, cohesive feel to it. 
uh, across the board, but maybe maybe it's just I don't know. I've, I I listened to that one a lot more when I was younger. I, could, I, I also could I could, see young yeah. American fans who loved Shock the Monkey buying this record and going, mm. "What the fuck is this record?" Yeah, right. I hate well, this goddamn record. But, li- but listen to Biko. I mean, off of three, and tell me that this is that's not where four is going. You know, I mean, that's that's what's it, interesting. Biko to me sounds more like a jump to so which is coming up, which is mm-hmm. like his big pop album. Huge, I, yeah. yeah. I thought this was the one where he's like, okay, I like world music, and I'm going to show you why. Yes. You know? I think you're right. I just think he's out there more. Like, I think he reigns it in on So. But Biko, to yeah. me, sounds like it could be on So. And Shock the Monkey, to me, just sounds like it's in its own. I can't place it on any of his records. It's a, it's a, it, Like Megan says, it's a good hit peter gabriel type song but i don't know that it fit he's something about this about him though he is not when he's gonna write a pop song he does it to like idiot high level okay like think about sledgehammer on so which is funny because like when you listen to this album it's like this artist is the same artist as right 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 (laughs) but i was saying like that's the similarity like uh, Shock the Monkey, Chris, is where he takes the one song and pushes it to idiot high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the you same, know, by the same token, almost didn't match. to me, Shock the Monkey is still kind of like experimental. And when you watch yeah. the video, he looks like oh, yeah. it's crazy. Oh, yeah. He's scary looking. And I know we'll cover well, it when we get compared, to so. I mean, compared to other pop music at the time, yeah. it was not like, I mean, I would say it definitely still stands out from that because it's Peter Gabriel, because he does pop music the Peter Gabriel way. It reminds me more of like Gary Newman than than Peter Gabriel two years later. Really? But then, you know, like, so the album, so is almost, and I know we'll cover this, but it's almost like he did the same thing Bowie did uh, in the early eighties, which is he like came in from the cold and he's like, okay, now I can be Mr. Clean cut pop like sledgehammer. He's wearing that little suit. And yeah, he, like it's, he looks like he's 45. He's like, Oh my God. <laughs> I remember as a kid thinking he's old as fuck. I love this album, but he's old as fuck. Yeah. It, and it was almost like it's on purpose. He's like, I'm the mature rock guy writing these silly. That's <laughs> what people liked then, though. Yeah, it was, it like, was, I don't know. It was like, perfect. For the he's time. a member of like this very limited set of dudes that oh, totally. the punk influenced guys still liked. Mm-hmm. It was him and David Bo- Bowie and Bowie and Brian. David Eno. Byrne. Yes, yes. Brian Eno. Right. Robert Fripp. Right. People like that. Well, I, yeah. I, Henry, I don't know if you do this, but and, and Megan, I don't know if you do this, but I, I lump all the first four Peter Gabriel albums together because they're called, I all call Peter Gabriel. And yeah. if I listen to them as like four separate parts, I, I like one and three much better than two and four. So it seemed like to me, he, he did one that I really liked and then he kind of like wasn't right on it. And then he did another yeah. one. It was kind of like uh, in between. So I'm giving this one a, a thumbs down, even though I think it's a good record. It's not as good as other Peter Gabriel records of this decade. I'm going to give it a a thumbs up, but if you did throw both three and four down and said steal one, it's going to be three. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I would say just because I'm not super into Peter Gabriel and I don't particularly care for this record. Like I respect it. I would give it a thumbs. Like I wouldn't listen to this record ever. Probably. So funny. Well, that leaves us (laughs) one more record. um, And that is by Mr. Kenny Loggins. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, great. <laughs> it's called High Adventure. And we're going to listen to a little duet he does with Steve Perry called Don't Fight It. <sighs> You guys are going to find this hard to believe, but from what I can tell, there's more keyboards on this Kenny Loggins album than there are on any of the others. That does not mean anything. <laughs> this, this is a, there's this, a prop this song is, and a Yamaha CS20 is, on the whole album, which shocked me because I thought this was going to be the one that didn't have keyboards, but it's got a lot of keyboards on it. Okay, go, Henry. This, this album is the soundtrack to the movie High Adventure. Starring oh. Steve Gutenberg and Goldie Hawn. <laughs> I just made that up. Oh, <laughs> see, I totally believed you because I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I want to see that movie, Henry. I want to see that movie. This album was given to the award-winning design team at KTEL Records. I think they did a masterful oh, job. <laughs> Who did a masterful he's job? Just, he's so cheesy. What was that leather strap? Was that a leather strap? What, is, what the fuck was that? I'm thinking it's a guitar strap. Oh, okay. I can't figure it out. Like, what the fuck? This looks like, I can't believe it's music. Volume He's two. an adventurer <laughs> going on a high adventure, Henry. I don't get it. He was the king of soundtracks, though. That's what I was trying to lean into. I, I mean, I believed it without question, so you did a great job. <laughs> okay, so, all right. So, Chris, when you put this pod together... I want you to put the beginning of the song Heartlight on here. In fact, can you cue it up or no? Is it already? Yeah, I would love to hear it if we can just do the beginning of it. If it's worth, you know. Is it possible? Me, yeah, give me one second here. <laughs> I hate to I hate to ask you that on the fly. Don't fight okay. it. I like the love. Everyone I know put Stand in the heartline I hold a hand I walk with the teacher We welcome in the morning Singing together Can you feel the love that's in my heart? Can you see the flame we got to start? Burning like a beacon in the night Oh, welcome to Okay, now you tell me, 
the band Live conceived their entire career on the beginning of that song. <laughs> it does sound I exactly like Live. You tell me that is not right. I told you he was your brother. We could reminisce, then you would go about your day. If I said you ought to give him some of your water, you'd shave your canteen and walk away. The perception that divides you from him is a lie. For some reason, you never ask why. This is not a black and white world. You can't afford to believe in your side. This is I'm not a man in my 40s, so I'm not super familiar with Live's catalog. Oh, sweet did, Jesus. Did it you like that? Shit. Did you like that, Megan? Specifically, I'm not a white man in his 40s. <laughs> Specific. If, if, if you like that, you're going to love Live. Could I attempt to make a defense of this record? I mean, you, what? I mean, how? You don't. This shit was like, that's a banger, dude. I don't know what okay, you're saying. Okay, okay. So, to me, this album, and it shocked <laughs> me, but this is this album is the blueprint for like 80s, AOR, middle of the road, what's on the radio. This is what, oh, totally. this is what the 80s sounded like. Like I'm listening to Even these the songs. album cover. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. right? The, uh, <laughs> the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. I'm listening to this going, okay, this is what, there's one song that's like, this is what fucking Brian Adams did. Oh, this is what Richard Marks is about to do. There's even a couple songs on here, though, that are like, this is what Night Ranger sounds like. Oh, here's here's a song that sounds like fucking Ozzy Osbourne. There is, there's like, weird. it's just an odd, but it is, it's like, and, and okay, so this guy basically set the blueprint for AOR middle of the road yacht rock in the seventies, right? Soft rock. Now he's yeah, setting the blueprint in the fucking eighties. I know people hate him cause he's not very critically acclaimed cause he's, he's not very artistic, but damn, if he didn't set the tone both in the seventies and the eighties, he was a cheese pioneer. He's right down the middle, right? With the cheese, he's right down I mean, the totally. fucking middle. I remember the song heart to heart, but I didn't know it was Kenny Loggins. <laughs> oh man, I did. Is it important, I, really? It, well, it's not. It's not. You're <laughs> exactly. right because like, Megan, he has he has his voice and his like polished like flair. Okay, it's so clean. Flair. <laughs> it, it's so like utilitarian. It, which is why he killed it on Footloose. He's that's just why, a regular guy. That's why. That's why it's like playing with the boys and all that shit made all the sense. In the I do world. like that song. That's from the Top Gun soundtrack, right? Yes. I think so. Yes. yes. Something playing yes. with the boys. That's playing a good with the one. Boys. Yes. All the guys with their shirts off playing volleyball. Very homoerotic. Oh, I'm yeah. yes. Delicious. I mean, it's got the blue. It's even got Michael McDonald in here. I called in like the big hitters. Oh. I called in. Okay. Now, hold on a second, Henry. I wanted to break that down. I want to get your opinion on that because I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the Michael McDonald song that he sings back up on, I Gotta Try, is also on Michael McDonald's solo album that we just fucking covered. Oh, my God. They both oh released their own version of it within a month of each other. How the fuck did that happen? It's a sign. I don't know of what, but. I could not find anywhere on the internet that would explain that. So I'm a big yeah. Yacht Rock fan, so I love Michael McDonald. He's like the Elvis of Yacht Rock. He's, He's like the, the legend, I would yeah. say. Y'all, y'all need to give him a break. He is, <laughs> he's doing the best he could. <laughs> Who, Kenny or Michael? <laughs> Kenny. 
Okay. I've already decided Michael McDonald's the shit. Okay. Everybody, everybody recording this record went to the bathroom, did lines of blow, came it back, and had amazing, hey, cool shit to do. I'm I sure it was all so of, fun. I'm sure the, uh, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> the duet, I can't shit on it. I don't know what to tell you. The duet. I mean, it's not Steve as bad Perry. as I thought it was going to be. It's just like very cheesy, and it always makes me laugh because Kenny Loggins just makes me laugh, which has value. Not Which a bad has, right, but I yeah. do I do hate laughing at it too because it's like this is what the '80s really sounded like. My mom and dad and Chris's mom and dad were listening to this album probably. Oh, for sure. Yeah, my mom loved Kenny Loggins. Wait, Does anything like, last forever? <laughs> like, I don't are not know. The mindset. Hey, maybe we're near the end, guys. <laughs> that was probably the most fun out of all of the albums, I would say, in terms of like recording and the general energy of the people involved. Like, I'm sure that the, Look like, at the-, the Kate Bus. Kate, Kate Bush, not Kate Bush, uh, Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel, probably super pretentious. Yeah, let's you know? look at the cover of the Peter Gabriel album and the cover of the Kenny Loggins. Which one's going to be more fun? <laughs> yeah, what do you think? I mean, come on. <laughs> if you're getting ready for your high school prom, which album are you going to throw on the, on the turntable? I'm going with. I'm this going. To, we're going on a high. We're going adventure. on a high adventure, yeah. bro. <laughs> Which one? Which one's cruising down the road for a good time? Which ones is you gonna go slit your wrist to in the basement? Which one? That's why I and hate that it. is an important question. I really want to give this a thumbs down, but I don't know how to do it. It's a you don't see my notes. It's a fun record. Man. It's a fun record. This is America still. It is Amer- and it's an American record. God damn it! This is <laughs> Middle America. This is one that you have to like but apologize for. Is that not me? Not at my age. I, just, I don't have to. That is true. That's a good point. <laughs> I feel like if I was like watching the Karate Kid I, and just turn the sound off, this would be the record I would be playing, and it would just be it yeah, would work. Look, the whole look, thing would work. Look, look, look! I'll tell you guys, we have listened to far worse albums than this. We like, have far worse. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to try so, that. Henry, do you, you remember that thing that when we were kids that said if you turned down the sound to The Wizard of Oz and played Dark Side of the Moon, yeah. it matched up perfectly? I bet yeah. Karate Kid matches up to High Adventure perfectly <laughs> if you turn the sound up. I would love to start that conspiracy theory. Let's what do movie it. did you say it was going to match up with? Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Not The Wizard of Oz. Not The Wizard of Oz. No, not at all. <laughs> Gonna, All right, fuck it. I'm giving it a thumbs up. I'm giving it a thumbs I, up. I already wrote a thumbs up. Nice. That's Megan, crazy, right? Megan, what are you going to do? You know, for shits and giggles, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. <laughs> 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 but I gave Peter Gabriel a thumbs down. I did too. Members I'm, of the I'm, Kenny Loggins fan club. I'm so ashamed. I'm in a weird mood. It's the end of 2020. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead. I want to be happy. <laughs> right. I want to be happy. And high adventure makes me happy. Um, all right. We're going to go to the big finish here. So, Megan, will you give us your pick of the episode? I mean, it's it's definitely Kate Bush dreaming. I'm not going to go that far with Kenny Loggins. <laughs> I thought you were going all the way. No. <laughs> I'll save that for you, too. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Henry, what is your uh, pick of the You know episode? damn well what I'm going to pick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Kate- what Henry's going to pick, and I know what Chris is going to pick. <sighs> what are you picking, Kate Henry? Bush. Oh, you're going with the dreaming as well. Amen. I mean, I, I love It's Hard. Um, but I'm going to go with, 
<laughs> I'm going to go with Signals by Rush. Nerd. Uh, we knew nerd. it. And I did have the dreaming wrote down, but if you guys are both picking it, I don't want to be on the same pad with you two nerds. So I'm going with Rush Signals. <laughs> But high adventure, man. Damn. Close second. That's a close second. Close second. I'm going to start promoting that album, see if I can get him to talk to us about it. Oh, hell yeah. He looks like the kind of guy that would, and he would not stop talking. You couldn't get him to stop talking. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, if you like our show or you like the records we're choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes. Listen to us on the podcast provider of your choice, like Spotify and Stitcher and uh, share it with your friends. You can chat us up on Twitter at 80s exposed or 80s music exposed at gmail.com. My Twitter handle is at Hank G. If you want to talk to me, Chris, what's yours? My Twitter handle is at TCI Duke. And uh, uh, Megan covers our Instagram. Will you tell them about that, Megan? Yeah, I I don't personally have a Twitter, um, but the pod has uh, an Instagram. It's at 80s374. And then I have an Instagram as well. It's at Bastards of Young 92. Chris, Chris just changed the notes to make sure I tell everybody that it's not iTunes. It's Apple Podcasts. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. How could you be so dumb, Henry? You'd be so dumbass. <laughs> Showing your age. Next podcast, we're going to do Donald Fagan's record, The Nightfly, Prince's 1999. What? We got to do. Come on. Marvin Gaye's Midnight Love, Hall and Oates H2O, and a Culture Club record called Kissing to Be Clever. Hmm, I wonder which one we're going to like, guys. I'm excited. I'm very we could excited. Have a, we could have a Dark Horse candidate. You we know, could. just like this we week, could. like you knew that Kenny Loggins was actually going to make a run. He made it. I he mean, made I don't a know strong if he made run. a run, but like we didn't totally shit on it. That's awesome, folks. That's what we're going to listen to <laughs> next time together. Chris, Megan, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape.